Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. Adjua Ando is a British film, television, theatre and radio actress. As well as playing lead roles at the National Theatre, the RSC and the Royal Court, She's appeared in long-running roles in Doctor Who, Casualty and EastEnders, as well as being a member of the BBC radio drama company. But in 2020, Adjua appeared as Lady Danbury in the groundbreaking Netflix Regency drama Bridgerton, a series with a record-breaking 82 million views. Earlier this year, I caught up with her to talk about that unique experience. Hey, my guest today is Adjua Ando, and we're talking about Lady Danbury in Bridgerton, set in the 19th century. This looked like great fun to do, was it? Well, you know, it, <laughs> when you put your corset on at 5am, David, right. and then you put your comedy wig on, um, and then you take it off at about 8pm, by the end of the... You know. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know I'm if not, you know I've not been in a corset but, much, but, you know. but I know what it's like. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that... Yeah, but um, no, it was... It, it 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 is great fun. I mean the the, uh, the scripts have got a, a real swing and swagger to them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know every time a Regency uh, drama is announced or a historical costume drama, my heart sinks slightly. I think, oh, that'd be another one we'll pass up. Yeah. So for me, as a black actor, it's great to go and hello, here we are. Um, so when because, you got you know, the call, it, when you got the call from your agent, what was the brief straight off? Um, the, the, I guess it was uh, Shonda Rhimes, uh, who you know, m- me and my kids grew up watching Grey's Anatomy. It was the law for several years. Um, so, uh, so Shonda Rhimes, uh, amazing um, producer of content, black woman, done it on her own terms. Great narrative drive person was um had had taken these books uh these romantic historical fictions by a, a writer called Julia Quinn which are hugely popular in their own right and she was giving them the Shonda Schwang and it was going to be her first offering for Netflix 
Right. So that all, you- that combination is immediately interesting to me. My mother was a history teacher, so mm-hmm. I grew up reading Jean Plaidy and Georgette Hayer, you know, yeah. waiting to, so I could get my own adult ticket from the library so I could go and get my own. Because I, I love these books because you, you learn about history um, while being involved in Will They, Won't They. But so did you know I, Julia's books? Did you no. know, know that? No. No, because she's just, she's just not my era. You know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd stop sort of reading that uh, sort of, book because of time constraints and all sorts of things. Anyway, so that combination of Netflix, historical romance, uh, Shonda Rhimes, mm-hmm. um, and then the character of Lady Danbury, who's got such, you know, she's got gusto and verve mm-hmm. and all those things that are really great fun to play. And I thought I can do something with her. I, how, did, I, how much I, did you know about her going going in? Did you have an interview with Shona? Did you? Did, no, did you meet- I had the sides, and I and I and I met the casting director in Shoreditch one Friday afternoon when she had a train to catch and I would come from another job. So we just banged out and then off I went and she went and, and that was it. And I just thought, I'll just give, I'll just do my turn. You can have my turn and then I'll go away. And if they like it, they do. And if they don't, they don't. Right. Um, um, but I sort of, I, I sort of recognize women like her. They're sort of, they're the women that, that they're, they're on, on both sides of my family. They're my sort of, they're my, my English grandmother's, hearty women who ride bicycles and teach children and play tennis into their 60s and are in the WI mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe carrying a broken heart somewhere along the line and, and all of that. You know, they're the, they're the sort of drivers of the nation in a mm-hmm. way. And I recognise them on my Ghanaian side. They're my auntie in the 60s leaving Ghana because she wanted to do fashion and travelling to Milan and New York and Paris and London and buying clothes. And she, she was telling me stories last year of, the lift was broken in this apartment she had in New York and carrying all these clothes she bought on her head up 16 flights of stairs. She said, I think it broke my back, you know, and opening a sh- and then opening a shop in Accra to sell international fashion. So there's these dynamic women who just kind of get on with yeah. it. And she's right you know. at the heart of the story, isn't she? I mean, when... Because there's a lot of secrecy around these shows. Did it come to you in drip feed? Did it sort of, you had the pages and then did it go to a second stage or did they then send you the first script? Or how did the script and the story arrive to you? I got got, um, sides of what was going to be her first appearance, you know, talking on screen as opposed to little montage-y things they do. Um, and she sort of leapt off the page there. You kind of knew everything you needed to know about her. Actually, uh, some of that, the stuff that I got sent didn't make it to the final edit. But you, you, I, I, when I read it, I had a clear sense of who I thought she was. Um, I kind of almost knew sort of what she'd look like um, and um, or, or how I wanted her to, to look. Um, and then... Um, uh, because it was the first series, so the second series is different because it was the first series. So you, you sort of had a, a an arc came pretty uh, quickly uh, mm-hmm. of of the eight episodes and the sort of direction they were going in. And obviously, um, you know, things go to a pink page and a blue yeah. page and the orange page and a, how many more colours of the rainbow do we have? But the, the basic shape was there pretty early on. But it has a very distinct tone about it. What, what's wonderful about it is it's very secure in its tone. Yeah, well, that's Chris Van Dusen. That's and the showrunner. And would he sit down with you, Chris, and would he sit down with you as a cast, or would that would that guide of tone be on a daily scene-by-scene basis, or was there, a, was there a discussion beforehand about this is the show we're making? 
Well, so when we all sat down to the read through, um, it's very, you get the tone really clearly from Chris in the stage directions. So the stuff that the audience never sees, his stage directions are, they're like their own show. They're fabulous. They're anarchic. They're larky. Um, they can be a bit sweary and quite funny. Um, they're very funny. And then um, uh, one of their senior producers would read the stage directions during the read through. Boy, she reads it a lick. She's like, and bang, and we're into season two. <laughs> Not season two. We haven't done season two yet, but you know, and, and that's a cut to. And then we're on to the next thing, and it's like bam, 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 bam. Um, uh, and so you, you, so you know, if you weren't sure before, this is the frame of this Regency will they, won't they narrative. Mm-hmm. So it's immediately not like anything you've done before because it's got that American, you know, driving thrust yeah. to it. Everything drives. So pace mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, is a is a real watchword on 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 set. And then, and then, of course, Chris. Chris is an amazing showrunner because he he's there every day. So I, I, I don't know how he does it. You know, he's he's got he's got young family. Um, I, I don't know how he does it. Right. Uh, um, just so when you've um, got a showrunner and a director on set, is it yeah. a discussion between you all, or how does that dynamic work? Yeah, there, I think there has to be because the showrunner has to keep the overall tone of the series. Um, um, because I, th- I think there's nothing more distracting when the tone starts to wobble in a show. It's like, what, uh, uh? Mm-hmm. so, um, it, you know, and it's something that directors have to, um, buy into. I think it's, it, you know, it's not your, it's not a Terrence Malick one-off extraordinary. We're just going to shoot at dusk and twilight, you know, uh, dawn and twilight. So, um, uh, that, that's the buy-in, but then of course, each director has their own, um, Slight taste, and, and and of course, creative is going to be space for that. But you know, um, I did casualty for three years, and I'm not comparing the two in many ways, but in some ways, I am. In that, you have a cast that knows who their character is, mm-hmm. um, and you have uh, uh, exec producers who know what they want the tone of the world to be, and then you have directors who come in and, and bring that. So it's a it's a constant process of negotiation. Um, and then Chris is also head writer, but he has other writers coming in. Um, so everybody's incrementally shifting all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're you the know. constant in it, aren't you? You're the you're the constant yeah. because you're, but, you're it's your character. And yeah. That's- so you know the classic line: "My character would never do that." You know, um, you can only use that to, to, so far. Uh, sure. uh, so it's it's a it's a contract that we all have to buy into. To, to but how did she emerge for you? So you know you've got the pages, and then scripts are coming and stuff like that. You're talking about the influences of the women you know. Mm. When you're playing with that, when you're putting all those elements together of what you're feeling, is that just simply you and yourself in the mirror and you have the voice and stuff like that? And then you might do it the read through, or you might do it at a rehearsal. How do you create this stuff on your own before you release it, you know, show it to other people? Yeah. I, I think it were, I think it goes in stages. Um, I, I think that you, I, I spend a lot of time with the music of the lines and find out what's the, what's the music of this character. Uh, and, and, and that music takes me into, well, who's the person that would create that particular music? Why does it sound like this and not like, you know, so then I have to think about who is she? Where is she from? 
what she lived through. How did she get into this position? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the, um, I, I suppose it's a bit, I, what are the compressions? A bit like, you know, how does, how does a mineral become a diamond? Yeah. Or, you know, how do we get to coal? What are the compressions that have made her the object that we find at, at this point in her in her life? And I'm always really interested in that. So I think about the period. Mm-hmm. I think about her gender. I think about uh, in this case, I think about her race because I'm not I'm I'm playing the color you see. It's not pretendy white lady. Um, and uh, I think about so I think about class. I think about gender. I think about race. I think about the period, and then I think about, and then how does this unique personality push against all those things? And because is that she's part not, of the she, process you enjoy? Do you enjoy that? I love bit it. Of, yeah, I too. love it. That's why we do it, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I love that's, that too. That's that's my. That, I love that. And then having got all that on board, how do you make those words be honest? to what you've discovered about that person. And did you so that, have those great, you know, there's a great flashback scene with, um, you know, the, the old yeah. uh, Duke, and then there's the there's a great speech you have with, yeah. with the present Duke. I mean, did you have that at your disposal when you were doing this work or did they come later? Um, I didn't have that at, the dis- at my disposal when I started um, with the work. So when I got those scenes, they were in great encouragement because I was like, okay, we're on the same, we're on the same page. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, um, what, and I don't know, you know, where this came from it for, for Chris, but for me, the, the stuff about going, you know, the, you know, the shouty person in the room is usually the one that's going, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and is 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 the scared person who's push is, is like pushing it out by going you know look at the shouting don't look at me look at their line look at my hands so you know um, and I I really love that because I um, I for me that abs- I think I think loads of people resonate with that and that has nothing to do with um, uh, your era your gender your race your class anything that's about that's a human yeah. oh uh, thing that, that we all that feel that sort of never goes away does it. It never goes away. I, 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 and, and, I, and I resonate with it. And I listen to myself, you know, I, I'm listening to myself talking to you now. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the days when I would um, be getting ready for school and I'd be like, OK, when I go into school today, I'm going to be I'm going to be really quiet and mysterious. Uh, I'm going to be just really I'm going to be really thoughtful. And people are going to think, oh, she's so interesting. And then I'd get in and I'd be like, um, you know, and I'd be like, oh, oh, I did it again. What, um, what happened to my aloofness? I know. Why can't I be sophisticated? I want to be sophisticated. <laughs> um, um, but I, but I do know that there was a there was a certain point, quite little uh, at primary school. Uh, no, even pri- prior to primary school, where I understood that certain I, I, my nana came round with with her friend Daphne. And I remember Daphne was in a lemon twin set and she had snowy white hair and it was very permed and very nice. And um, uh, Nana was quite proper. She would talk about licorice and staying in an hotel, things like that. Um, she was also, you know, she could dig up the street if you needed yeah. her to. Um, she came with Auntie Daphne and I remember eyeing this woman up and thinking, I'm going to have to make her like me. She's not going to like me. So I, I remember going, thinking, okay, what am I going to do? So I went upstairs and I got my copy of Mrs. Tiggywinkle, Beatrice Potter, and I took it downstairs and I just plonked myself on this woman's lap who didn't know me from a hole in the ground. I went, I'm going to read to you. And then, you know, I, I, and I read a Mrs. Tiggywinkle. So at the end she would think I was charming and lovely. 
Right. And I, and, and I kind of understood that there's an element of performative stuff mm-hmm. that if you're scared and you think you're going to be not liked by Auntie Daphne, do that, do that, like head it off at the pass, just get and, in there. And sort of create a character, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I reflect on that now and I go, why does a three-year-old girl already know that? Mm. What's that about? Um, um, but I still, I know that's still the case. Mm. And actually, one of the things that I've loved about Lady Danbury is just that thing of going at a certain point, do you know what? Drop the shit. Drop the shit. Mm. Don't matter if she don't like you. Just yeah. live your life. What I love about her is there's a very public part of her and there's a very private part of her yeah. and we see both of them and that's what's yeah. really wonderful. So when you're, you're working on your, say, you know, you're working on your own, you're looking at the character, you're finding the voice, the war, all those things. And then maybe the next people you meet in the process are hair and makeup and costume. Um, how much say do you have in the look of her? I have quite a lot of say because right. I'm just at a stage now where no, I'm, <laughs> I have to have my say. Right. Um, but again, it's it's always in the you're always it's a trade off, isn't it? It's like yeah. um, I'll do it if you for ten pound fifty. Can you do eight? <laughs> All right. Or about eight. Seven, you know, it's 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 exactly it's for me. It's exactly the same. It's it's you're always bartering because obviously hair and makeup, they're super creative people as well, and they will have their own vision um, and. Chris is putting this jigsaw puzzle together. So he'll have his own um, vision of how he's been running the writer's room and how he's laying this thing out where he knows he wants a character to, to develop. So he'll have a sense of what he wants as well. So there's always, there's always the negotiation. So, um, uh, and, uh, but at the same time, hair and makeup want you to be happy because you're going to be sitting in that chair at half past four in the morning for nine months and they don't want you to be sitting there glaring at them for nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it becomes a collab, it becomes a collaboration. So, you know, you negotiate what shade of, I don't, that lipstick. Mm-hmm. Nah, not, not feeling that. Yes, but for the period. Mm, okay. Well, how about if we, so there's all, there's all the trade-offs right. and, um, uh, but like with costume, with- did they have like a color palette for you? You know, because obviously they're looking at the whole thing. Did they? Is there a Danbury sort of color palette? Yes. So um, uh, it, it's 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 been predominantly sort of uh, different shades of purple, deep purples and reds and blues. So it hasn't been greens and oranges, and yet, which is completely Featherington. And it hasn't been the pale lilac-y colours. That's complete. Not that I would want that. She's, <laughs> she's stronger meat than that. Yeah. Um, uh, um, but I, so, so, that, so that's been negotiation. One thing I was, so Lady Danbury has a cane. That's mm-hmm. in the books. Um, and I know that part of that is about, she's an older woman, so she's got a cane. But for me, I'm like I'm not I'm not playing old lady. It's just not interesting. It's not interesting to me. And let's have the cane be more interesting than that. So there's something about using it as a piece of dynamism as well. Um, and uh, so the top of the cane, um, I said nobody's going to see it but me. And this is where you go. Are you just disappearing up your own fundament, Ando? Get a grip. Um, but the top of the cane uh, has um, uh, an elephant under a palanquin. Mm-hmm. You know, which is the the sort of I can't think what the word is. David, it's like a canopy, an awning. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's a canopy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and um, that comes from um, 
uh, a colonial officer in the Gold Coast had had that insignia made. So I wanted to have some connection with Africa. Uh, and and the Gold Coast uh, formerly is, is now Ghana, which is where my dad's from. So I wanted to have that in the palm of my hand. When she walks, she's got that rubbing on her hand. And it talks about Africa. It talks about colonization and power. So I just wanted that little knob on the top of the cane. So there's the cane. And then I wanted her to have hats because she's a widow and I wanted her to embody the masculine and the feminine. And at that period, um, you know, men, it was... It was a hat and cane and a watch chain. That's like de rigueur for that period. So I wanted her to have those elements as well. And then she has a big chunky ring and I wanted that. That's her dead husband. So she carries her, you know. So she's got she's got love and geography and status embedded into her What style. I love about that is, they're the, like you said before, you know, nobody's going to see this. But what happens to you as the actor is they they sort of seep into your character. They, they become your character. Yeah. And sometimes, and I want to ask you about this as well, sometimes in jobs, there's so much going on. There's, and quite rightly, you know, there's, there's hundreds of extras on this job. There's horses, there's lights, there's all yeah. the stuff behind the camera as well, that you need to have something that just focuses you into your character in a very immediate way. And if it's the cane, sometimes I have things like, I have a story around my shoes or something on my costume or something else. Exactly. Sometimes I carry photographs with me, which I can just look at. They yeah. get you there. They're shorthand to get you, to remind you why you're there, who you are. Because yeah. some some of those days they looked like, you know, you will have a big speech in the middle of a lot of chaos going on, yeah. won't you? So you yeah. have to look yeah. after yourself in those big scenes, don't you? Yes, it's absolutely right, David. You have it's it's a grounding. You need you need anchoring. It's like a scaffold that you carry around with you that you can just pour yourself into when there's a lot of stuff that's not about your character whizzing around, um, and it just takes you back. It takes you back into the moment because because that's the thing. I, I God, I say this so it sounds really pontificity, but you'll know what I mean. It's just it's about honouring. The person you've created is now a person mm -hmm. and you have to honour them in your representation of them. And and it's about honouring that character, but it's also it's also honouring the investment that the audience is making in that character. Yeah. It's like it's, res it's respecting the time they're giving you and the bit of their heart that they will be pouring into, whether they love you or hate you or whatever. But a bit we, we pour a bit of ourselves into mm -hmm. into those characters when we're watching those narratives. So so for me, um yeah, it's it's about honouring the character and honouring the viewer and and all the people that have worked to make that person yeah. go. And uh, you know, the great this again tonally about the show is there's there's a lot of like froth around it. There's a lot of sort of you know, it's it's a fun ride, but every now and again, you're as the viewer, there's a real seriousness underlining it about mm. status, class, all these mm. things, mm. about who you are, about mm. love, about betrayal, yeah. um, and men and women and all those things. And they, they really, as a piece, it really does play with those two things. And, and, and that's what I mean about the tone. And I guess this sometimes yeah. you can... That's what's nice to have Chris around, I think, is the fact that there's an outside eye saying, push that a bit more or bring yeah. that back a bit more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He, he, I, I, what I think so smart about it is uh, it's like it's, it's, it's like undercover, uh, you know. And, but what it says is, you know, you bring yourself to the piece and there will be something 
you know, you know, you will spot something that somebody else won't spot. Uh, you know, and if you just want to come and watch a, a frothy romp and go, oh, look at that frock. That's a nice house. I don't know. Do you think they will? Or I think I'll put the kettle on now because that's a bit too much sex for me. You know, all of that. It's 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 all the kettle is going on a lot in my house. It's, uh, me too. I'm like, I just have, have I turned into my dad? Yes, I have. You know, turn the paper here. Where's Ross? You know, um, all of that. So, oh, I think the dog needs to walk, or whatever it is. But um, uh, so all that's going on, and 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 I love the fact that you can get it at whatever level you you know the stuff about grief the stuff about gay relationships uh, women wanting more from their lives than being chattels um having agency there's even a, there's even a little bit about uh, race in there but you know you catch it if you catch it and but you also, don't catch that, it that that bit is you know there's the there's a lot of historical inaccuracies in this show but the queen is a real you know that's that's an amazing piece of history, isn't it? That we don't know. No, no, not yeah. that we don't know, but we're not told. Absolutely. So um, I, I suppose I would say the show is probably more historically accurate than any other Regency drama you will have seen. Mm-hmm. There were 20,000 free black people in London mm-hmm. in this in London in this period. A fifth of the British Navy was uh, of African heritage. If you go to the bottom of Nelson's column, the dying Nelson is in the arms of a black sailor. So, you know, it's like, uh, and there were people from Asia, from Africa, anywhere that was being colonised, they were in London in this period because, you know, slavery, colonisation were the great fuelers. We were just really getting into our pomp in this bit of the Hanoverian period. Um, um, The wars of the Americas, all of that. So there were a lot of free black Americans in London who had fought with the British in America and had been rewarded by being allowed to come over here. So, so you like this, like it's mad. You got China's co- coming up with this. So yeah. So our show is saying it's not a documentary. We're doing this on steroids. So you will see more, more, more of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Featheringtons will be in psychedelic green. No, it's not. Period. <laughs> the cut is though. So yeah. you know, there's all that going on as well. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and Queen Charlotte. And Queen Charlotte, thank you. Queen Charlotte um, is descended from Alfonso III of Portugal and his uh, African mistress, whatever she was. There was a lot of trade going on with um, the um, the royal kingdoms of Africa between the Portuguese uh, and, and those kingdoms from from the 14th century. So, I mean, Portugal Portugal were the first great slavers, and then we 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 came in second. Um, uh, so um, there in the in the Iberian royal families uh, of Portugal and Spain, there was there was a lot of uh, a much more interracial mixing that you, than you would be allowed um, to have seen or learned about in history or any of that stuff. And, and Charlotte is part of that. The, the Hanoverians they like to marry f- their own, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't buy, they wouldn't marry an English person. They would go they'd go to um, to to Germany, Saxony, all around that area, and marry someone from there. And Charlotte is that's how she comes over, and she's the one that brings the Christmas tree. We have Charlotte to thank for the Christmas tree, um, not Albert. Uh, um, and so uh, I once you know that she's mixed race, and you see paintings of her, you go, oh yeah, I see it. When she when she was born, there were complaints about her her um, her mulatto appearance. When she came over to England, people complained about her ugly, thick lips and her wide nose. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew what that meant. The dog whistle was 
up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, where I grew up, we, we filmed at a place called Badminton House, which is about five miles from where I grew up in the Cotswolds. There is this, uh, it's, it's where they did the, when D- Danbury has a lady soiree, yeah, yeah. the gambling and the drinking and the carrying on scene. Oh, and um, that was filmed there. And, and so there's a huge picture of Queen Charlotte there. Um, and I've, I took a photograph of me with Ulrich Riley, who was the director of those episodes. I would have loved as a little black kid growing up in the Cotswold in the 60s mm-hmm. to have known that five miles up the road, there's a queen yeah. and she looks a bit like me yeah. and it's okay. We've been yeah. there for a long time. You I mean, know, I think uh, that's, I mean, that's the, one of the things in the show that, you know, is just so wonderful to sort of, and the, the world that she could reimagine, you know, that's what I loved yeah. about it. And I think that's what Chris has brought to the show. And, yeah. and do you think, I mean, it, it feels like a bit of a game changer to me as a show. Do you, do you does that feel right to you? Yeah. It does absolutely because, and I know it is because I know there are loads of dramas coming down the pipeline from all different platforms now that will never go back to doing all white costume dramas again. That it's just like it's too old fashioned now, and because the show is the the biggest Netflix show, uh, it, it's had the biggest viewership of any Netflix yeah. show ever. Um, it, 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 people don't need to be doing it for right on reasons; they just need to go. The appetite in the market is there. Yeah. And people, so, you know, if you build it, people will come. I mean, they are, you know, yeah. it's, it's such a huge success. You and mentioned I, that party in your house. Yeah. Can you just talk me, those days, those, and there's a lot of them, those big days. <laughs> I mean, just talk me through a day like that, particularly in a costume like your work. You alluded to it before about when, when yeah. your day starts and ends. But yeah. what, what are they like? <laughs> long. <laughs> long. Um, <laughs> So I, I so my wigs probably you know look I'm not doing them any favors or, yeah. oh, sorry this is audio but as you as you can see David quite, yeah. my hair's yeah. quite long for me at the moment so yeah. it's about half an inch um, <laughs> and so Dad is not the hair the hair department's friend they kind of looked at me with horror because that wig is a, those wig makers are astonishing because mm-hmm. it's a mission to make me look like I've got a head of hair. Um, so and that mission takes a lot of time to create. So so I'm in the make I'm in makeup. I'm quite often in in makeup as they're setting up, wow. um, uh, and on on those big ball days, big party days, there's seventy bajillion uh, people to get in. So there's a, there's a, a cast of um, supporting artists that is enormous, plus the dancers, mm-hmm. um, and then there uh, and then there's a lot of regulars because those scenes are usually where everybody comes to the ball. So there's loads of regulars to get in. So makeup are they've got steam coming out of their ears by about 8.30 in the morning. Um, so those days, are, they're super long days. They're really long days. And you just, it's like, this is the day to have your boiled egg, love, and have your slow-release porridge because <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and don't eat too much starch because after lunch you're going to keel over. Um, and do you have rehearsal? Are you able to, uh, I mean, I presume the dancers you, would have had rehearsal before oh, you yeah. even got there. But yeah, yeah. do you are you able to rehearse on the day or do you have... Did you have any rehearsal yeah. before you start? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You you may have a you may have a rehearsal morning for stuff that's coming up. Um, I, I, I mean, in a way, you get your lip in after a while. You mm-hmm. sort of know what's coming and how you how, how you need to approach it. So it's all very much you know really focused and by the numbers. So we're going to go from here, and then we're going to pan over to there, and then it's going to come through here, and 
and, and then you'll rehearse that little section, you'll rehearse that little section. And obviously those big days, you, um, you, you, you will break down a scene. So a ballroom scene will be five scenes. Um, uh, so the geography has to be completely on point so it all glues together properly. So you can be shooting a scene for, you know, a week. Yeah. Um, uh, and it may look fabulous and frothy and fun, but, um, you know, that's, that's the skill of everybody Definitely. Putting the I mean, I know you in. were joking about your slow release porridge and stuff like that, but there's a seriousness about how one looks after oneself over a long period. I mean, you said nine months before. Yeah. I mean, your energy is a real important thing and only you know what your energy is like and what you need. I mean, you've got to really treat yourself in a different way for those long shoots and those long days, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, I, you, I, I know I need to know when are my heavy days? When am I uh, um, emotionally very particular days? So, you know, some days uh, on set between scenes, you'll be chatting and gassing and just yeah. having a lovely time. And other days you're like, all right, you can all bugger off now because I just got to focus on yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, and and I, uh, I, um, I, I guess I'm, I, I, I don't know if this has got harder as I've got older, but I really like to, I like to have the words in my mouth before yeah. a, a big thing. And I don't want to have other people's stuff in my head. So I will mm. go away and just burble in a corner like the mad woman. Um, and I, I, I find that comforting. Uh, would you ever grab another actor for that or would you do it on your own? Would you ever say to oh, someone, no, can we no, run I'm, it? I, I have no pride in going to someone and going, can we just run this? Great. Can we run it again? Mm. Um, and, but but if they if if they say I, I I don't want to, I'd rather just then I, that's cool as well, and I'll just I'll just go and do it do it on my own. I think that's because you know we all make great friends on these jobs because they are so intense and there's they sort of you know that ensemble nature. Mm. But I think it's always good to talk about the fact that it's fine every now and again to say look. I need a different head on today. I need to, you know, and I think your actors, your fellow actors and, and professionals on the set as well, they understand that. You have to, you, you, you honestly, it's sort of, it's a bit more about honoring the work again, I suppose, because there are, you know, there's a woman who's been baking the particular petit four. Yeah. She's been up since 2am to get it right and fresh for this moment on the day. There are supporting artists who've driven halfway across the country in the night to be here for their half past five call. You know, there are people that have been decorating and setting things up. Never mind the writer's room and the. There's an awful lot of work that goes into the and turnover and action moment for you. So for you to not come and be on point, excuse me, who are you? So uh, so there's 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 a lot of me that thinks about that, and I also think David. I grew up in a farming village in the middle of the Cotswolds. What? I'm doing this? What? I know. If you're I doing often... it, come on and do it, love. Yeah, if you're here, enjoy it. And actually, uh, you know, it's fine because you do love it, so it's great. But it is yeah. like every now and again you go, how great is it? I mean, was the one day, was the, what was the one day that you suddenly went on set and went, oh my God, this is massive. Was there, was there a day in your first week where you looked around at the extras and the carriages and just thought, Wow, <laughs> there was there was a ball scene. It was uh, it was an outdoor ball. Oh, I can't I can't remember what it, I, I can't right. remember what it was, David. But it was oh. quite early on, and uh, it was quite early on in the shoot. I can't remember if it's early on in the story. It's outdoors. It's night. 
there's fireworks, mm. uh, there's a lake, yeah, there's yeah. flambeau, there's 75 bajillion people. It's a bit muddy underfoot, let's be <laughs> honest. There's, you know, there's there's planks and whatnot everywhere. The shot was so enormous. I, I, I And I, I just thought, I actually don't know what, what, what am I, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, you just, I just went, okay, baby, come on. We're going to have to going to have to knuckle down for this one because yeah. there is so much going on yeah. uh, you just ha- and, th- and actually that's when you have to just go you have to get really tiny now because um th- th- people can't do there's no just this drones fly just it's like you know but also it's that know. thing of you you know you go this is amazing whereas lady danbury would go this is my life i'm here this lady is danbury would go oh right why is he yeah. over there Can't just yeah. You know, so there's that thing of play, playing that, the There's always that split than... thing, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I still get that some days. At the moment, I'm working in a, uh, I'm doing loads of audio book, uh, audio books through lockdown. Gosh, mm. um, uh, I'm doing loads of audio books, and I, I find a route, and I drive in North London. And I live in South London. I drive past Buckingham Palace most days, mm-hmm. and. There's still a little bit of me that's like, here, look at you, all right. You're going to work in your fancy car and you're driving past Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Quite <laughs> right. Quite right. The minute you lose that, it's all gone. You're gone. Think, you're gone. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. We'll be back with more chat after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. When you when did you first see it all put together? Did you go to a bit? Were you able to do a big screening because of COVID or not? Um, yes, uh, we we had uh, we we had an end. So we had an end of shoot sort of montage of lots of sexy sections, mm-hmm. followed by you know much dancing and drinking. Yeah, yeah. Um. um but then uh, there, we weren't able to do a full Monty because we finished uh, filming at the end of February um, before lockdown. Uh, and 
so when it would have all been put together, we there was no gathering. So I watched the whole thing. They sent they sent out episodes, uh, you know, with you know, I'm in a carriage. There's a green screen, right. yeah, that sort of stuff, and placeholder music and characters talking, and then the ad lines have been added. So it's like, well, I don't know what I think. And then he does the thing, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. So um, that was the first put put together I saw, um, and uh, and then obviously it was a it, it was an it, it, interestingly it was a completely different order of gravy by the time they put the proper you know is this yeah. a this is a chamber quartet but I think I recognise that music and all yeah. and all the all the schwang on it was a completely different thing again. That's and really, I, I, when they when you suddenly go is that Ariana Grande that's just yeah. you know it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I loved all that. And that's the fun of it as well. You know, it's the same as the psychedelic green dress. Uh, it's it's going, it, it's sort of, it's like the musical equivalent of some of Chris's stage directions. You get a little right. nod into that into that world of we're not taking ourselves too seriously. But you were saying before, I mean, you know, where you come from and stuff. I mean, you studied law, didn't you? So where did the acting bug come? Where, 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 where did that come from for you? Listen, I was that annoying kid, David, I was putting on shows in the wow. front room. I think I'd choreographed Gustav Holt's The Planet Suite by the time I was eight <laughs> with, with like Maxine and uh, Maxine and Helen and Doreen Ryan, the kids mm -hmm. up the road. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, was always, I, was, I was always dressing up um, and playing things. I used, to make, I used to make books. I would stitch together stuff and I'd, you know, with my felt tips and I'd have quizzes and a dot to dot, and all this, and and little comic strip books, and all that for all the stuff that you get in an annual. Yeah. I, I was that I was that kid, uh, so I was I was always um, I was always doing plays or playing uh, dress up. I, I, had a, I had a friend at primary school, Tina Morley. I was the Russian prince. No, I was the Russian prince, and she was the um, peasant girl. That was right. they played that one quite a lot. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> But, what, so, but did you ever go to like a drama club or anything like that? Or was in this the all Cotswold. No, it doesn't happen. No. The, we, I mean, there were school plays. That was as right. much of a drama club as we got. We weren't allowed to study drama at school because it wasn't a proper subject. Okay. Uh, in the upper sixth form, I stayed on to the sixth form. I did um, A-levels. If you were doing A-levels, you were allowed to do drama O-level. Um, uh, we had a drama teacher called Vera Connor Douglas, but she was known as Vera Connors, Miss Connors. I wish that she'd lived longer. She'd been a professional actor. To, so to me, she was like a god. And um, she would give me notes and she would say, I'm giving you this note as a professional actor. And I'd be like, oh, OK. Um, and she gave me her gold lame 1950s slingbacks, which I've still got somewhere, as a present after we'd done... Murder in the Red Barn, I think, and I played the gypsy, of course. I I, I was always getting those character parts. Um, and I, I just, I love, I, drama, I, in the sixth form, I was, um, I was, my parents were getting divorced. I was very depressed. Um, I lost a lot of weight and um, drama got me through. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I had a really clear sense. I went to see... David Hare's Plenty, Kate Nelligan, 1979. It was a, I had to go and write a report for my drama O-Level. I went on my own. I sat in the cheap seats at Bristol Old Vic and um, 
The story had nothing to do with my life. I was a, a depressed anorexic 16-year-old. And um, this is a, a woman who in the Second World War, she's taken out of her secretarial job in London. She becomes a special ops operator in France. She's brilliant at it. She comes into her pomp. She finds out who she is as a human being. She has a great love affair, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, the war finishes and it's like, you go back to being the secretary, love. And it's about her falling apart. And I remember sitting in the, you know, sitting in this, I don't know, Wednesday matinee and just sobbing my heart out in the dark. And I understood then that there was something magical and transformational about theatre, uh, about storytelling. Um, and I wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that it, it, I, I wanted to be a part of it with an instinct that didn't extend to you can do it as a job. I just knew it was something. But where I grew up, if you were bright, you might apply to join the civil service or you might work in a bank. Or if it was available to you, you might even think of, about university. So or you had to go and find it yourself? Uh, yeah. I... I, I, um, I did the law degree because I'm a good African daughter, but I didn't do it until after I'd worked for Lloyd's Bank for a year during the Falklands. Right. I was a punk, David. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm in a bank and there's people in lady dye blouses and there's blokes who work who are in the TA talking about how they're going to go and give the Argies some. I'm just, and I, it's numbers. I was shit at it. We had to, no. I, at the end of the day, it'd be like, okay, someone's out. And they'd be like, Adj, is it you? So I was bad. I was bad, 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 bad. So uh, in the end, I ended up applying for a, a law degree to just get out of the bank. Right. And my, that, you know, I'm an African. That's, you know, good African. You be a lawyer, be a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're bad, you can be an accountant. Mm-hmm. But it, that's, that was sort of it. So I did. And I thought, right, I'll go and be a law degree. I'll uh, do, a, do a law degree. I'll do... I'll do, you know, um, benefits rights. I'll do immigration law. I'll do... Because my politics were really, yeah, yeah. my politics haven't changed. They've probably got more chippy as I've got older, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I did two years of this law degree. Hated it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know how to stiff the tenants, actually. It's not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in my first year, a woman called Yvonne Ramsaran, she's a magistrate in Bristol uh, and a, a, a lawyer and a, a brilliant, brilliant woman, um, she was in Bristol Black Women's Group because in those days, so Yvonne is um, Indian, Guyanese, Irish. And in those days, black meant what we'd say of colour now. So that was Turkish women, African heritage women, Chinese women, Asian. We were, it was a black women's group. And Yvonne said to me, because we're still friends, she said, someone in the second year ran up to went, Yvonne, there's one in the first year. And that was me. And it was like, recruit her, get her in. So I joined Bristol Black Women's Group. And it was it was the joy of my life. I'd, I'd come from the Cotswolds. I'd uh, worked for the bank. I was a punk. My politics were left. And then I came to Bristol Polytechnic and joined this Bristol Black Women's Group and discovered, you know, Audrey Lord and Alice Walker and the politics of feminism from a position of colour. And uh, like my whole world went, whoo, you know, Sweet Honey in the Rock, this um, this music uh, um, acapella ensemble who were completely, they were supporting trade unions and women's rights and indigenous. I mean, it was just like, 
okay, I found my people. So in Bristol Black Women's Group, uh, we went to Greenham Common. We did all of that. There was a woman called Deborah John Wilson, who, thanks to Bridgerton, has recently got in touch with me. She lives in America now. I'm so happy. Um, uh, Because I mentioned her. Somebody was asking me about how I started. Anyway, Deborah had been in the San Francisco meme troupe, and she was working in Bristol. And when I eventually surrendered and packed in my law degree, she said, I'm going to do some classes at the community centre. Come do my class. So I went and did Deborah's class at the St. Warburg's Community Centre. And eventually she got funded by Ken Livingston uh, Mm -hmm. to do a show in London. And she said, you should audition. So I came up to London. I auditioned for a director called Sally Aprahamian, who's a TV and film director now, but was theatre director then. Uh, still pals and um uh, and then i went back to my bedsit in in bristol and i by this time i was working in the legal aid center as an assistant and um uh got offered a job so 1980 april 1984 uh so it's my 37th anniversary this wow. month um I uh, went to my mum and my stepfather's wedding and then one of my relations who lived in London was coming back up to London and I moved up to London with my then girlfriend who I'd met when Bristol Black Women's Group had had a sororial meeting with Brixton Black Women's Group because we did those things in those days. So I moved in uh, uh, with Dorothea and um, I rehearsed at the drill hall, um, The dear old drill hall. Uh, And we did the show there. We did it at the Oval House and we did it at the Acton Community Centre. It was five black women. Uh, uh, There was music in it and it was uh, it was fantastic. And 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 then I just never went back. And then that's that's how I started. And And I lived in a squat for a year and I cleaned toilets and modeled for live drawing classes. And then black actresses started to tell me about auditions. And for me, that was like. They were putting me in opposition with them to get work so that I would have the opportunity to work. And so for me, that's always been a thing about don't climb over people. Mm-hmm. If it's yours, you'll get it. If it's not, help someone else get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how how did that change of profession go down with your family? Were there, was there any resistance to that? Oh, listen, I'd already ruined my father by not finishing the law degree. Right. Because uh, I'd walked out on that to do Deborah's classes and I took up the cello with a, the head of the law department who'd said he'd wished he'd packed in his law when he was younger. So um, my, my dad did the thing I would probably do with my kids, which is, was like, just finish it, just finish it. If you don't want to, just finish the degree. I was like, I can't, no one knew when to do it. So I left. So I'd, I'd already, you know, I, I, he's still waiting for me to finish the law degree somewhere in his heart. I know he is. Um, but but they've been but, able to see your success as well. Yeah. You made the I, right choice. I, I made the right choice for me. I think, I just think I'm, I'm a better actor than I would have been a lawyer. Mm. And my mum, my mum, you know, my mum's extraordinary. She's from Liverpool. Um, she married and uh, they moved to Bristol. She married an African. Her family didn't go to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she she'd been working with um, um, post-war refugees in Austria in the in the fifties. She's a kind of she's like my mum is just out out there. She um, taught in Leeds. She taught contemporary dance and she got drama going. Um, and so for her, she was just like, do your thing. Yeah, and she's she's still like, do your thing. That's your thing. And, do your and, thing. And you're one of the 
actors who does your thing is everything. I mean, you do, you, you know, you telly, theatre, film, you direct. I've seen some great shows that you've directed. You're Richard II, I loved. You know, you do audio books you mentioned before, radio. Mm. I mean, you mm. cover it all. Do you, do you have any sort of plan? Have you ever had any sort of plan or do you just take what you want to do and as it comes along, the things that you would like to ch- challenge yourself in? Or is there a plan? I wish I had a plan, David. I wish I, I haven't got a plan. You know, there's a, 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 a so I, 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 I've some, some of the super famous actors I've worked with, you know, the ones that have talk about, you know, which airspace is the best airspace to fly their small light engine to, where I might go, you know, that's a good car park. They're like, that's, 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 they're still going. So what are you doing next? I, I think we never lose the fear that we're never going to work again. Uh, well, I don't anyway. No, and it seems I, to me that lo- uh, we're, it's always like, right, well, no, that's well, me We then. must sort of enjoy that. I mean, there must be something in it that's sort of perverse in us that we sort of, you know, we, we the next thing is always a bit of a panic, really, you know. Let's just talk a little bit, because uh, mm. I'm conscious of time, and I just want to get onto something that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is... Basically, things like reviews and nerves. You mentioned mm. before that your first drama tutor said, I'm going to give you a note now as a professional actor. Mm. Times in my life when I've got very defensive around notes as a director, so a director can approach me and I can think, oh, don't come anywhere near me. And that's, I know that's a fault in me. There's an insecurity in me. You're a director as well as an actress. Uh, so is there, a, is, there a, is there a way that a director can give notes? Do you feel knocked by notes? How, you know, how do you deal with that sometimes? I think it's, about, it's always about buy-in, isn't it? I, I always feel... I, I, I'm, directors who are horrible to me don't get the best out of me. Mm. They get fear and they get defensiveness. Mm. And you get Adjua and not the character. Because I, I just come to the front and I'm like, oh, oh, and there's a bit more, they don't like me. I, I, well, I didn't be here. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not useful. That's not useful for the creative process. So it's got to be about buy-in. Mm-hmm. So I, I will want to sit with someone and say, so this is what it's, I don't know, how are you feeling with it? Is this, because I, 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 I always feel there's, um, um, it, it's, it's flow, David. It's like when you're watching your, Leeds United back in the Premiership. I thank you. When you're watching your team uh, just being beautiful, when the flow is in and everything comes together, uh, when that player is there and you you have to look at the the, the passage, when the flow is right, it's right. So I'm always interested in getting the getting the flow. Mm. Um, I I was. uh, uh, I've, I've just been doing a short film with a, 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 a young uh, director um, called um, uh, Depot Barua et- Etta, who's just beautiful. And he, uh, we, you know when it's the right take. Yeah. When uh, you, you do it and um, you both go, yeah. Uh, and I, so that's what I'm trying to work, that's what I'm trying to get to when I'm working with actors. Well, but with, so, the know, football for, mani- with the football the football analogy is very good because sometimes you talk about you need an arm around a player, you need to sort of quiet and another time you need to kick them up the arse. And there's a yeah. there's there's times when a director has done both with me and I've gone and you have to you know, I don't like a bully and I know a no. bully and uh, you know yeah. that's happening. I'm not having it. But if someone is challenging me 
And, Challenge is good. And I have to and I have to be aware of it in myself to think this is right. That they are trying to get something out of me which is is right. And I, I'm I'm frightened. I'm frightened to open up. I'm frightened to give. Yeah, and uh, when you own that, that's really helpful, isn't it? I, I um I, there's a director I love working with, uh, Indu Rubisingham, theatre director. She runs mm-hmm. the Kill, and uh, she always laughs because she'll give me a note and I'll go no, mm, yes, yes. So I'm quite often a no yes person. It's like yeah. no, yes. Yeah, and, yeah, and, I, and, and, I, and that's really good to open yourself to that. But it, again, it's like it's almost like the bartering. You know, when you're bartering with somebody, and you're like, uh, "So uh, I'll give you a fiver for that," and they'll go six pounds fifty, and you go, "No, a fiver," and they go, "It's six pounds fifty, no lower." So, yeah. and I think the same. You know, I'm going to try what you want because I'm going to try and be open. And sometimes it gives me a great discovery as an actor, and and, and other times I'm just like, "That's I. That's not the right path." And I can tell you why it's not the right. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have the back and forth. But as you say, so if we're doing Shakespeare, David, like when we were doing Richard II, so I had three days of, I did, let's have cultural sharing. So I want you to bring in poetry, songs, a dance routine, a bit of film you like, a sculpture, and a, a piece of cake, don't care what it is. Bring something that resonates with you from your life. We did three days of cult- for the buy-in. I want the buy-in. I want everybody to be on project, whatever it is, Richard II in this case. But then it's like... Okay, the rhythm is ba-jink, ka-jink, jink Sorry, that's what it is. And then I will be completely hard-ass about some bit of text because it will open something else up. Just trust that it will. So it, it's, it's, as you say, it's a real give and take thing. But, and, I, but think sometimes, we to- I mean, in theatre, you get that. I mean, sometimes, you know, on TV sometimes, and again, you've done, you know, episodic, fast television. Mm. You're being asked to make choices very quickly. On the hoof. Sometimes, as you step onto the set, when they give you the pink page, yeah, and that you've got to sort of have a, a trust in yourself at those times. I mean, that's why I, you know that thing of having a plan. It seems to me your plan is to mix it up all the time to do different things. And I think in that in that idea of you grabbing something for theatre, grabbing something from episodic television, you're doing something from big movies, and then mm. the audio books, they're all feeding you and your experience of how to tell story and give story over. Isn't it? How to tell story. I, yeah. That for me, um, I, I love it. All. I do love it all. What I hate is crap work. So I, I don't care what the medium is. If it's good, it's good. If it's crap, it's crap. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, so, um, but, but what I love is say you're doing an audio book, you have to apply yourself in a really particular way. You are the narrator. You are all the characters. You have to hold all the stakes, all the different emotionalities. And, you know, is it a narrator who's, who's a sort of a, a reliable narrator, an unreliable narrator? Are they omniscient? Are they funny? Are they miserable? You know, so you're holding the whole frame. So that's a completely different demand on you. And I love that. Um, you know, I'm going to be a bit Welsh. Now I'm going to be a bit Nigerian. Now I'm going to be a bit, you know, Chicago and whatever it is. Um, and I and I, I love the challenge of that because it's just, just your acting chops. It's like, okay, yeah, I can do all of that. Um, but then, you know, you're doing a really tiny chamber piece uh, on stage. How do you, what's the, what's the nuance and the freighting of that? Or, or you're doing a big movie and it's going to be 40 foot, you know, whatever. So it's a slight raise of an eyebrow. Or so I love the different challenges that it um, that it all demands of you. And um, uh, and I I don't I'm still thrilled that I'm working as an actor. So I I, I don't I wish I did have a plan. It would yeah. I think it might be helpful. But but um, I 
Don't no, have a plan, no, David. I mean, the one thing I've had to learn is that 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 my experience sometimes as I've got older, I've gone, oh, I'm quite comfortable with it. I'm okay with this. I know it. And I became very suspicious of that feeling because I'd worked from panic most of my life. I'd worked yeah. from a place of insecurity, a place of panic. If it wasn't, you know, no pain, no gain. And I got to mm. a job where I thought, oh, I'm nervous and, you know, I'm sort of sort of anxious about stuff, but I'm not feeling that inner panic. And I thought maybe yeah. I'm just getting... And then I, it really worried me that I wasn't getting the panic. Yeah. And I had to realize to let that go and just enjoy it. Even though it yeah. is anxiety, you know, does create anxiety, yeah. is nervous, I can enjoy it as well. It's, I think it's about that thing about honoring your experience and sort of saying, do you know what? I, I'm quite good at this. I don't have to be terrified all the time because I know what I'm doing. You know, we wouldn't want our surgeons to be terrified every time they went to operate on us. And it's, to, to me, and it's the same, it's, of course they'll be prepared and they'll be nervous because that's about focus. But, you know, we've been doing this a long time and we still get hired. So you're allowed to own the fact that you are yeah. pretty good at what you do. That's okay. Allowed to enjoy it. I think that's what we'll, yeah. we'll do. Adrian, yeah. it's so great to talk to you. I love the show. And you've mentioned the second season. Is that out there now? Uh, we're, we, we've, we had a table read uh, recently and we are, we're, back in the, we're back in harness shortly, yeah. Oh, well, I can't wait. I, I really, honestly, it was so great. And I loved it. And I think it's, it is groundbreaking. It is great game-changing and all for it. It's just wonderful on so many levels. Oh, bless you. Thanks, David. Thanks for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Who Am I This Time? is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.